Hello and welcome to the next class. I'm Rob Bertzel, your host, and as always, joined by my colleague Tom Burnsford. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here again, Rob. And Tom, you don't look like you're in your uh, your usual office. Uh, no, I'm I'm actually in Marseille, France, today uh, at the beginning of the World Congress on Catholic Education, sponsored by the International Office for Catholic Education, with about uh, five six hundred leaders from all around the world of Catholic school education. So, going to be an exciting few days here. Sounds like a better spot to be than where our guest and I are in Chicago today. <laughs> yeah, it's 65 degrees and sunny here. Beautiful. <laughs> Just like Chicago, 27 and gray. Uh, so we are joined to for those of you that are watching us on our YouTube channel by Josh Hale, the CEO of Big Shoulders Fund. Josh has been a friend and colleague for going on almost 20 years uh, when he was at uh, the original Cristo Ray School, working with Father Foley. Or many of our listeners have had the pleasure of meeting John Foley a couple times. Uh, it should be noted that Josh had more difficulty getting onto this platform than Father Foley did. This so, Josh, with that, with that, welcome. Welcome to the next class. It's great to be on. <laughs> I've been following Father Foley for a long time, and not a surprise that even in the area of technology, Father Foley continues to lead. I'm going to go get a lesson from him after this, a tutorial. <laughs> You got to ask him how to work the machine. <laughs> how to work the machine? It's in the machine. <laughs> anyway, Josh, great to have you. Uh, Josh has been a longtime champion of Catholic education, especially urban, inner city Catholic education, and we'll be talking about his uh, his views on urban Catholic schools in a bit. But Josh, to begin with, tell tell our listeners a bit about Big Shoulders, the work you guys do, some of your big wins the past couple of years, and um, and what other cities around the country might, might learn from what you guys are doing here in Chicago. Well, it's great to be with uh, you, Rob and Tom. Thanks for having me on. I'd much prefer to be with Tom. Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to have a state of mind today that we are Marseille, France as well. <laughs> so if I start talking French for our listeners, I apologize. It's just an aspirational hope. Um, so Big Big Shoulders Fund is, is, was founded in 86. It was inspired by Cardinal Bernadine, who had a great love for Catholic education, particularly for um, under-resourced, underserved communities, and saw it as a as one of the great missions of the church. And um, he he gave a lot of his time and energy toward this mission um, in recruiting and talking to um, certainly community and supporters, but also principals and teachers. I've I've gone back in history and looked at a lot of the, the speeches and, and meeting notes, and I, I just am amazed uh, at at how much time a cardinal of his stature. Hmm. Um, both here in the States and internationally, spent on this mission. And I, I'm also taken by his humility, because when he created Big Shoals Fund, it wasn't an entity that he sought control of or command of, but one that he sought lay leadership to really take on and to own. And I think that that takes a certain amount of certainly humility, but bravery, um, that giving up control is, is hard for anything. And he went to people that he really trusted and believed in. And um, I would say that, that trust was was well-placed, that we've never deviated from the mission. It's always been for Catholic schools and for those under-resourced communities. And I think that that's kind of the, the core of what we've been about since 1986. And so as a group of business and civic leaders that jumped in um, and formed Big Shoals Fund as an independent nonprofit organization, and at the onset, it was really to raise funds to help, quote unquote, the poor children go to Catholic schools. 
the funds were raised and then donated to the archdiocese and they gave them to a set of schools that were defined as in the city of Chicago, certain level of poverty and kind of Title I eligible and participating. Uh, over time, we have evolved uh, in giving directly to schools and um, even more so in developing a very close relationship with schools. So school being the principal, the teachers, the students, the families, and other community leaders. And um, our funding has expanded from primarily scholarship in some CapEx to really uh, programmatic and saying, how do we help ensure that this mission not only continues to enjoy the impact it, it, it is providing today, but over, over a longer time horizon. And that has evolved into um, us really becoming more of a, a network of schools writ large that now encompasses uh, Chicago, uh, kind of a, a new region up in the north, uh, far north suburbs of Waukegan, and then down in uh, Gary, kind of as, as, a, as a new entity. Um, and in a more specific way, when we talk more about it, we've taken on what is effectively local management of this group of schools. Mm. And so as we define that network, there's almost many models being created and evolving. And I think we're learning a lot from that. And um, it's proven impactful in terms of the impact, the short-term outcomes, whether it's enrollment growth, stability of the network, but also continuing the long-term outcomes of what does it mean for a student starting in our school and finding his or her way to being a productive citizen um, in our society. And Josh, when you, you say that it was founded around lay leadership, who, who are some of those original uh, lay leaders and, and what what drove them and motivated them? You know, it's a good question. There was an initial group. I mean, really, we go back in the details and again, spending time reading the notes in the, in the meetings. Leading up to 86, there was about a two-year period where Bernadine went to Jim O'Connor, um, who was at the time head of Commonwealth Edison, one of the largest utilities in the country, Andy McKenna, who had a, a company he built, um, but also was, the, is I would say, best known for uh, being a prominent member of the Notre Dame board and kind of helping to build that university into what it is today, but also the chair of McDonald's, Barry Sullivan, who was the head of First Chicago um, Bank, and Ed Steffen, who was the head of Winston Strawn. So three prominent Catholic business leaders. And they were kind of what they called the resource committee. And they were talking about how to sustain this mission. Was it a hundred million endowment? Was it, and it kind of evolved at a time where in the broader city, there was the start of talk of education reform. People, the business leaders are going down state with the mayor to look at taking more really mayoral control of the city schools. And um, so those three, those four business leaders were in conversation with other business and civic mm. leaders. And really in 1986, a number of those other leaders, um, folks from the Jewish community, Lester Crown, Ron Gidwitz, uh, James Compton, who had been you know, a civil rights leader, started the Urban League here in Chicago, marched with um, Martin Luther King, just a gem of a human, frankly, um, Art Velasquez. So you had a broader community come together that said there's an inherent good in this group of Catholic schools as at first and foremost, community-based organizations, whether it's a right. library, it's a public school, it's a store, that just saw the inherent good of, we're going to hold the city, we need more options for families. And Lester Crown, I remember when I first started, but this is actually in notes, he just said, you know, if if, uh, if a family can't access a quality education, either in the public sector or in the private sector, we will lose more citizens from the city. 
And so he got on board early on. We had a, and so that was kind of coming together and they rallied. And, and frankly, they're, they're, you know, going from originally talking about a hundred million dollar endowment was, you know, really over a five year period to raise $10 million. That was their goal. It ended up taking off much quicker than they ever anticipated. I think they, they achieved that goal in a couple of years. It was a Tribune editorial about it. And, and I think they knew then that there was great interest in it and it took off from there. And so, you know, just to give some context, I think we've raised, you know, it's coming up on $600 million since we started. Wow. So yep. wow. it's, a, it's a big number. And I think that speaks to the, you know, the, the general populace of Chicagoland that sees this is part of the future of the city. Wow. That's, you know, Josh, that's tremendous. But what let's think today about today, about business leaders today who may, you know, and particularly newer business leaders who may see the value of Catholic school education, particularly for those without quality options for education in an urban environment. What what advice do you think you'll have for those leaders who maybe want to help the church in managing and overseeing and supporting these schools? Now, Carl Burdine, he, he reached out, right? He took the initiative yes. here. But, you know, you and I, we've met leaders who want to help. What advice do you have for those leaders about helping this this asset that is Catholic schools uh, around the country? You know, the first, I, you know, and this is maybe a Chicago centric comment, but, you know, one of the one of the things that I've learned from and I, I'm I, I came to Chicago from the Boston area growing up out east. And um, and I'm sure this is true in different cities, but there is a very um, heavy hand in the business community of involvement in civic activities. Mm. You know, and some CEOs, others arrive, they talk about someone coming to visit them, whether they, you know, it was Andy McKenna or Jim O'Connor or some other group of business leaders that, hey, you know, what are you going to get involved in? Here's some options. And so, one, I think getting involved, I think that that, right. you know, um, employees are looking for that. We have a number of companies involved. Their, their employee bases are deeply involved. I think it's a retention strategy. Um, I saw it at Chris Array that, you, you know, we, we saw this as a way to fund an education. It ends up being a way to help a child to broaden his or her horizons, but also to break down barriers between, you know, quote unquote, downtown and the, the you know, out, outer um, reach communities. Right. And so it shrinks us down and it, it, it creates more of a community. So I, you know, when I talk to CEOs or other heads of organizations that, that are looking to get involved, I said that this will bring your community tighter together through experiences and uh, will help with retention. And I also, you know, we talk about whether it's crime in the city or um, discontent or we don't have the, the labor. That was one of the original rallying cries of Big Show's phone. This is the future workforce. Right. And we represent, yeah. when we look at our long-term outcomes, we see that 85% of our alumni are in Chicagoland area. So they're living here and working here. The vast majority are employed, um, having gone to college or into career pathways. And I think it's like 67% are actually in the city of Chicago. So that this is an investment in their neighborhood. This is an investment in their community. Mm -hmm. And so we're pitching that. We talk about that. And that we as an independent organization, if the corporation says, you know, we can't invest in, you know, religious things, we are independent. We are about community-based organizations yeah, yeah. adding value to broader. I think that helps oftentimes for them get their head around um, seeing this as a important community-based organization and setting aside whether it's um, Catholic or Jewish or Protestant or whatever, that this is first and foremost about kids getting access to a brighter future and the long-term data 
points in that direction that these may be your employees of the future. Yeah. So one of our greatest supporters, Bob Gallagher, greatest scholarship program. And he said, this is really, this is selfish. He said, I'm investing in our future workforce. These will be employees of our company in the future. And sure enough, they, they, they have become employees of his company. Yeah. So you've set yourself up in such a way that, that you can really support these ministries, these technically these ministries of the church, but with enough sort of distance and yet close collaboration that the businesses of the business leaders who are interested can fully engage and support. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I think that's, you know, going to, you know, we have people who are involved who are Catholic, who are from different faith backgrounds, no faith backgrounds, but also the inherent value. Right. I think whether they're Catholic or otherwise, people want to, you know, there's certain transparency. They get a big show's fund, it goes to this mission and this mission only. So there's a direct conduit. And this is ultimately, you know, our partnership with the Archdiocese is that this is their, this is their mission. This is their church. This is their, yep. and well, I Catholic, my kids go to Catholic school and I, I love this mission. Um, you can really see the impact for the future of the church that by putting these children in a, in a, in a relationship with their faith, whatever background they're coming in from, they know what that faith means and how it can enrich their lives in the future. Right. And that may be decided in that seat at that moment, or maybe in 20 years from now, or 30 years from now, and they say, hey, that was really important. I need that grounding. I need that faith. Yeah. And so I think that it's about building the future of the church as well. Interesting. Yeah, thank you. And, <clears throat> Josh, you guys have expanded to Waukegan and Gary. Have, you, have there been talks of further national expansion? Oh, my goodness. Don't <laughs> get my board listen to that. They, <laughs> I know. We're, we're the, uh, we are, we got our plate full. And I, you know, there's a... Um, you know, and who knows what the future holds in any in any of this. And I, I we moved into Northwest Indiana because it's kind of a north of a unique opportunity. And it's a longer story, but this couple wanted to do work in education there. And um, they saw that Catholics, they, they frankly, they've been involved in some charter schools and public schools. And this, there have been some challenges. And so they asked us to look at it. And we ended up doing kind of a two year you know, evaluation of what that might look like. So we, you know, we got gathered data, hired a firm to kind of uh, do some interviews with community leaders and parents and um, uh, business leaders and others to kind of get a sense for what are the needs in education and how we could add value. And going in there, we we're very mindful of that it, it probably will look different than Big Shows Fund Chicago because it's a different community, it's a different environment, different structures. Mm-hmm. And even the way we work with our schools here, while we have certainly taken on a lot more control in terms of managing and working with schools, we still believe that the, the ultimate decision should be locally based and not to, to overstep a, a line where it becomes, <clears throat> you know, those people's problems far away that, you know, they'll fix it versus locally we own the school. And I, you know, I saw that my own Catholic schools and my own, you know, you work at Crease Array that locally owned feeling of the community. And so when I, <clears throat> when people talk about national replication and again, I, how it all folds out, I really believe that it, it it's going to be so different in each municipality and each local community because of the different structures and the involvement, whether it's the business civic community or the local uh, ordinary or um, the structures that are in place. And um, like I, I was in discussion with um, some folks in, out in Los Angeles and just hearing about how they're approaching this or how it's been approached up in Minneapolis and St. Paul or how 
the partnership is approached or how Independence Mission Schools in circumstances that, you know, IMS went from like literally helping one school to running a network. It's remarkable. I mean, I love what they've done, but it's dramatically different than how we've been structured because of a set of circumstances. And, you know, we didn't we didn't wake up one day and say, we're going to run schools and we're going to be in charge. Let's do this. It was there's been a slow evolution of testing out. And even the legal agreement we have the archdiocese now, there was two predecessor agreements to that, that you could call what we have been now Big Shoulders Fund Plus, Big Shoulders Fund Plus Light, Light Er, and there are two previous ones. And they've evolved. Um, and I think that has to do with the building trust between the entities and uh, growing capacity. And I would say, you know, our work relationship with the archdiocese is better now than it's ever been because of this evolution and the, the structures we've created to, you know, really provide them more confidence, stability and for us, but more importantly for the schools and the communities, the parents yeah. that in, in putting a structure in place over time, we've seen enrollment not only stabilize, but grow in a declining market. We've seen our outcomes only continue to improve. Um, but I, when it gets to national vacation, I just think that there's, there's going to be different structures. Some of the things we're doing in Chicago are evolving and happening in Northwest Indiana, but they're also doing a number of things differently. And we want to let that grow. And frankly, you know, the, 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 the working hypothesis, and even as many times I told myself was, um, <clears throat> we're not going down with the answer. Um, we're going to learn from them. We're learning a lot from operating there that we're now pulling back from what they call the region, uh-huh. Northwest Indiana, to our, our operations here in Chicago. And the same thing in Waukegan. Interesting. That's great. So, Josh, shifting a bit from big shoulders, um, what nationally are you seeing or do you view as some of the, the greatest challenges facing urban Catholic schools? I think, you know, the, the if you, getting down to the, the in this, the, there's a lot of me, challenges and issues, but I would say the, 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 the core is more about uh, building a pipeline of teachers mm-hmm. and leaders that see a pathway, career pathway in this mission. Hmm. And I think that it's that's saying something because you, you know a lot of the challenges, but that's an issue in education writ large. But we have the, the, the you know, added challenge of a differential in our financial model to our, you know, call it our public and charter school peers. And so finding ways to build in structures that provide for that career pathway, I think has been critical. And if I could go back in time to the first day I started Big Shoals Fund to start working on leadership then, we've added a lot in now. So we, you know, we have kind of a pre-service program where we're talking to people in college, young people are being teachers and inviting them into um, supports and opportunities to, to, to do internships and the like. And then when they start in our schools, we kind of have a three-year wraparound services for them to kind of bring them into the fold. So that has everything to do with professional development, coaching, and starting to think about, you know, next steps. So whether it's going back to school or taking on more leadership within the construct of the school. And then we create leadership opportunities for teachers kind of early to mid-career around, you might be a lead teacher for a, a personal learning community of five schools where you're the lead fifth grade teacher getting people together and uh, looking at data and instruction and video and um, leading that, or it might be a lead in our, our Staddle camp out in Wyoming that you lead the, the teachers in developing the, the, the structures for supporting students and the, the whole management of the program, all the way to, you know, think about leadership in a school 
So getting your degrees and certifications, but also doing apprenticeships. And then moving from there, we have a chance for them to become principals, obviously. And, and within our principals, we've started to create kind of learning communities. I almost call them mini YPOs going to the big YPO. And the big YPO is what we call our Sullivan Fellows. And that is based on a set of six KPIs that if your school is performing at a certain level, you get into this group and you can stay in the group and continue to perform. And they, you know, part of it was a pay. So if you get in it, you get a kicker every year that you're in right. it. If you make five years, you get a big kicker. And what we found is certainly the compensation doesn't hurt, but it's more that YPO thing of they're getting together monthly for consultancies, guest speakers, fun experiences of trips to uh, different places, retreats, um, retreats both in the, in the face sense, but also in like go do a yoga class, a facial, you know, really trying to treat them and then having professional development within that, but really trying to create We've now taken those top Sullivan Fellow leaders and we're distributing their leadership over multiple schools now, almost like an executive wow. director. So they see themselves as managing. So they now see a career pathway that has ability to grow and stretch their wings, but also to earn more and to have a family and to grow and all those sorts of things. And on that trajectory, we've seen our retention of leaders from teacher to leader much higher. And so I, I just think that as we've added that component in, we've seen more stability in our schools because we're not trying to constantly fill a hole with, hey, who's a good teacher? Throw them into the principal seat. But who's in our who's in our pipeline that we could pull? Who can we put an apprenticeship? Who do we pull from an apprenticeship into leadership? I mean, it's so striking. Yeah. yeah. That, that's really interesting around the leadership. We're going to take a brief pause to hear from our sponsor. And we'll be right back. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. Josh, that's really interesting because, you know, Rob and I in our day jobs spend a lot of time helping schools that are struggling with teacher shortages and high turnover. And I know from my diocesan work in the Archdiocese of Washington than that, you know, there were there were times when qualifications for being a principal started with a pulse, right? Um, because we were desperate. But I have to ask, Josh, that surely, well, let me test this assumption that the reason you're able to develop this pipeline and retain teachers on a career path that is attractive to them and can go up to principal or whatever, you, you've invested significantly in that. And my assumption is you can do that because you are functioning as a larger foundation and a network of schools who are working together. Is that correct? You know, exactly correct. And I'll tell you the thing that's interesting you picked up on it, because I think that is um, elemental is the network aspect of the program that, you know, our first, you know, we've been accused by a lot sometimes of keeping too many schools open. Why do you fight so hard to keep a school open? Well, we, we believe fundamentally in that you can't serve students in a community if you're not in that community. You can't, you know, have open banking accounts in the South side if you're not present down there. And so it's kind of the same notion. The other part of it is that we've, we've long thought that the scale of the network, having this many schools allows you to move people around and create cohorts of professional development and consultancies and supports and opportunities for them to move into different positions. So there's an opportunity of managing kind of the, the labor side of it in this broader network. And that has proven very helpful 
in connecting teachers and principals, right. but also in being able to move them into new positions where there's a broader reach for them. Yep. And that is, that is, you know, all the other things you said about the foundation, the, the investments, um, but also that, that the network, that there is power in the size of the network in being able to manage, just like a big company being able to move people around and giving them, you know, let's do an apprenticeship over here. You know, yeah, but I mean, a diocese is, in some sense, a, a diocesan um, system of schools is that network, but it's so dang hard in a diocesan structure to provide that intentional uh, and the ability to move people around freely um, because of the independence of individual schools. So I think that's one of the clear advantages of a network type uh, model. I mean, it's hard to it's do exactly well, right. um, but yeah, yeah, huh. And that has been, you know, one of the single largest. And, and, and I, frankly, I talk about it and brag about it because I, 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 I was totally wrong. I thought early on we just had to recruit. I was like, let's hire recruiters. We got to get as many people coming into the funnel as possible. And there's really a woman on our team, Rebecca Lindsay Ryan, who looked at it entirely different and said, you know, one of the greatest sales things is, you know, harder to find someone new than to retain the one you have. And, and in the in the structure of this, you know, particularly the schools we've taken on kind of local management, we have the ability to pay differently. And in that, we can use some meritocracy in giving stipends and, you know, additional payment for those that are achieving. And so you start to retain your best and brightest. And so that that, that other issue of how do you retain that great science or math teacher? Well, you can start to compensate in a different way and then use them to share their practice with other teachers. So they're developing. So you're elevating their leadership, you're paying them more, and you're spreading their skill across the broader network. Yep. And that's enormously helpful. And, you know, like anybody, people love, particularly a teacher, to teach more is a great, uh, great gift. And so we benefit from that as well. And it's, it's again, I was totally wrong. Rebecca had the, the vision, and it's really continuing. But I only think we scratched the surface on this. I think we're really in we're getting a lot of feedback. We do a lot of anonymous surveys mm-hmm. of um, principals and teachers, which, you know, is great. You know, we do a lot of that. It is also painful, <laughs> right. you know, because they are, which is great. They're brutally honest, which is what we want. And we get it back and we share it with our board. We're very transparent. We share every piece of it. And um, it, it's hard not to get defensive sometimes, but we always step back and say, this is what they're telling us. Yep. And so you're able to get into it. And that's helped us evolve as well. And they, you know, the one other piece I'd say to leadership development is listening, that we have we have committed to listening to community. And if we listen well, we'll, we'll right. get it right. But that's not always right. as easy to practice. Josh, a lot of this is, is all coming back to a, a saying you often say, para los niños. Um, for our non-Spanish speaking listeners, could you share what that means and why? Why has this struck with you? And whenever I've heard you say it, it's such passion and there's so much emotion when you say it, even in your writing, when you, when I, I can feel your passion, even when I read your, your quotes of this. So what is Parlos Ninos and, and why so passionate about it? Well, first, I think it goes back to Crisa Ray, working at Crisa Ray and, and um, in that community. Those are five of the best years of my life to be in a mission, starting a school with, with people like you know, Father Foley and Press. I'm going to list them great leaders, Rob, you, you being part of it, and Tony and Carl, go down the list of just phenomenally committed, mission-driven. And uh, Father Foley would often say, Padre Los Niños. So I, I've stolen it a bit from Father Foley. It's like the technology, right? I'm stealing. I've been following for a long time. But I loved the um, 
you know, so much passion in the language in that it, it represented our passionate priest array that this is all for the kids. We're not about anything else. There's no politics. There's nothing else about kids. And when I came to Big Shoals for the thing that I recognized very quickly amidst all the different moving parts and elements was that every decision that our board made, which is, I think is pretty remarkable, was always what's best for kids. Mm. I would say community was best for kids. And that meant oftentimes extending ourselves and, and figuring out how to raise money after we made a commitment to keep, you know, 10 schools open. I think people always thought we had the money. It was, no, we didn't. We made a commitment <laughs> and we went out and found it. <clears throat> now we've gotten a little bit beyond that now. We were in a much more stable place, but I love that they, here's a group of business leaders who you could, you know, hard-nosed business leaders and we have the money. They were, there was a deep commitment. Part of those niños is like, if we just keep making decisions, part of those niños, then we're probably going to in the right place. And that's not always an easier, comfortable place. And it probably is an irritant at times to others. But I think that that is, that is kept us grounded and focused on the right thing and not about, you know, our own um, building of some structures that, is good for Big Shoals Fund or the Archdiocese or for it would just be easier if we didn't make a decision for the kids because it's harder usually. It means we have to extend ourselves. And if we really are called to mission, and I, I, you know, even through COVID and the depths of it, when there are times when I thought, oh, my goodness, we are going to have to, you know, do we have the funds to keep this all going? We had just made the commitment mm. to take on those 30 schools initially and, the, the, you know, there's a commitment from the archdiocese for a fixed amount, but we took on a fixed amount plus the risk. So if they cost more, we were on yeah. for it. So, you know, that, that, that could have been worse timing. I was looking at my, brushing at my resume at that point thinking, what have I done? <laughs> but, you know, the depths of, of, of COVID hell, our board, I remember going, sitting on a Zoom and saying to them, you know, here's what the ticket could be. And, um, and they, had, they had much bigger shoulders than I did. And doubled down and said, "Para los niños, let's let's do this." And um, as I always say, they, they don't they don't get weak knees; they get they they, they they exemplify big shoulders. And that's where I think "Para los niños" is for me so passionate and almost emotional. Is that you know, if if, if the, I look at my heroes in this mission, they always make decisions "Para los niños." And Father Foley being one of them, Jim O'Connor, John Canning, Sister Maria Brian Costello, you know, the people that really coached me from early early on in, in this. Um, staying focused on what matters. <laughs> That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Yeah, we, I was going to ask you what what a couple of things that you've learned during the pandemic, but it sounds like one of the things that uh, – that's a remarkable story that your your board really, you know, um, uh, as you said, had big shoulders during that time of commitment and at the same time pandemic. So that's, uh, that's impressive. It was you. Yeah. yeah. And even, yeah. I look back in it and almost a little bit embarrassed by it. Like, what was I thinking? Why was I as I kept thinking, how am I going to convince them? How do I, you know, sell them on this? And they they didn't bat an eye and just said, sounds like we're going to do this. And, you know, how could we possibly walk away at this time? And um, and straight on. And we continue in that in that vein. And again, I, you know, we're a much better place than we were. You know, when I first arrived, I remember it's like scrapping together nickels to <clears throat> and making a commitment then to go and find the, the funds. Um, I think that we've built up a level of trust with our community of supporters, transparent data, this is our plans, this is our goals, and our schools, our principals, teachers, and the, the programs are set up, continue to deliver on very strong outcomes, most importantly for children, yeah. that you know they're going to succeed. Yeah. 
So, Josh, a lot more gray hair though <laughs> from that period. They I'm had. sure we all have. Yes. Oh, everybody, how about it? Years <laughs> in three. Yeah, I mean, even just this this uh, podcast. We used to do this over in the Amerigo office. We had a studio <laughs> where you would come over, and we would have done it. Now you're sitting in your office. I'm at home, and Tom's in France. <laughs> we're doing um, next time we're ready. Just say the Absolutely. word. Absolutely. Well, next one in France. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, we end every podcast with this, uh, the same question for all of our guests, and that is, who is your greatest teacher and why? My greatest teacher, why? Gosh, I got a lot of great teachers and, and why. I mean, I know I'm supposed to give one, right? So my parents, the example they gave of faith, and I always say praxis and action, that not about pews, but about being out. Um, but I also say Sister Geraldine from high school was unbelievable. And, um, you know, I... I probably needed more attention than most students, um, and she never gave up on me. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I don't even want to remember. And uh, in fact, I saw her not too long ago. We were home for Christmas, and my wife said I heard a lot of stories about Josh in high school, and that you you were you were there to kind of keep the the train on the rails. She said I can never speak about those things. Josh is on the right path, but she always was very helpful. And I'd say, frankly, Father Foley has been one of my greats in that you know just. Every decision for mission, um, and then maybe more recently, um, Jim O'Connor, John Candy, and Monsignor Velo, just they've led our board in this mission in a way that's always part of those needs. So I got a lot of, there's a lot more teachers than that. I, you know, I, I look at all the teachers and the principals. I look at these parents that we serve and how they, um, you know, persist. And uh, when I sometimes think things are hard and big shoulders or life, I look at, you know, the blessings of what we're, yeah. So, a lot of great teachers. That's great. Well, Josh, thank you for joining us on the next class. To our listeners, if you've enjoyed the show, like us, give us a ranking on whatever platform you're listening to this, share it with your family and friends, and we look forward to seeing you on the next class. Thank you very much. Thanks, Robin. Tom, you guys are great for doing this. It's thank a, you. Uh, <laughs> honor, thank you. Thank you.